Thanks for uh, applying at a timeout with leaders. And the first question I'd like to ask is, if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? All right, perfect. Bob, you ready? I'm ready. Let's All do right. it. All right, Ty, you ready out in the farm? Yeah, dude, I got a lot of mowers out here I got to compete with, but I'll be all right. All right, my friend, let's get it started. <laughs> time out. Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Kevin, we have Bob Russell, uh, the CEO of Rochester Hearing and Speech Center. Bob, thanks for having us on, the sh on our show. We think highly of you. We think you're a superhero. And my question to you is, do you remember the biggest lick you ever laid on a person on the ice? Where were you and what team was it against? Yeah, I actually do. It was in men's league, and it was against somebody that I played with for about 20 years. And it was purely accident. It was supposed to be a non-checking you know, non league. But he was just coming straight down, headed toward the boards. Maybe my hip went out just a little bit. And uh, I gave an old-fashioned hip check and sent him going up and over. That was about five years ago, but I'm still reliving it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, you're uh, smashing him off a, a hit. What was your coming out song if you had to pick one? You're coming out to the ice, game one of the Stanley Cup. What are you uh, stro strolling out to center ice with? Uh, when, I, when I coached high school hockey, we used to use Flirting with Disaster by Molly Hatchet. <laughs> And, and, you know, it was a little past their, their day, but it still worked. And it kind of still set the tone for up. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine what's um, well, obviously you're over at Rochester hearing and speech and just for, mm -hmm. for everybody listening today, it's a, a great organization here in the local community. Um, Bob has been on, it's only been a year, I think Bob, right? No, it's been since October. Oh my gosh. Even so not even a full year yet. I'm still, I'm, I'm still a newbie. <laughs> well, we know you have no problem picking mops up over there, but uh, what was the first car? <laughs> what was the first car that you were riding, driving to hockey practice in? Oh man, the first car my, my parents got me a used Monza, a brown Monza two door, barely could fit my sticks in it. You know, like I had to have them go from the trunk out the, the side window, but uh, it was a cool little car. It got me around. The only thing was I wanted, I wanted a standard. And my father made made me get an automatic in case my my mother ever had to borrow it. She never borrowed it once, so <laughs> probably because all that stinky hockey gear. Yeah, it, it gets you know it gets pretty ripe when you don't take it out of the car for a few days. <laughs> hey Bob, what does Bob Russell like to eat around town in Rochester? What's your favorite spot to eat? Uh, there's so many, but uh, my go-to is the North Side in in East Rochester. Uh, great Italian food and just never lets me down. <laughs> I'm going to speak into an Italian to Italian. What dish do you order over there? Just so, just so I know what to get when I stop in. You know, I do the hybrid. I do the chicken parm and eggplant parm. Oh, I'm kind of a creature. A that's a hybrid. That sounds yeah. like else. <laughs> they can build the two. So, you know, if they're ever looking for an endorsement, I'm their guy. Yeah. I'll do it yeah. for trade. <laughs> just one 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 chicken parm and one uh, eggplant parm served uh weekly that's all that's all it takes not much <laughs> so um obviously you 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 love hockey um you you had some uh, i know you've shared with uh, tyler and i but share with the audience like i mean some why you think that competitive nature has helped you um not only in the, your personal world but also your professional world as a leader today well, I think, I mean, the biggest thing, you know, growing up playing sports and, you know, I worked in professional sports. I had that honor for, you know, 18 years. And, and the biggest thing about it is it's about teamwork, right? It's not about one individual. Uh, and, and really my leadership style, I've always adapted around a coaching style. So being able to work with people, see what their strong skill sets are, see where maybe they need some help and try and create them as, you know, well-rounded person and individual. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of that really comes into play with, you know, my upbringing, my dad had his own business. Everybody was treated like family. Uh, and it was really about how do you include everybody in the work that you're doing and in those conversations. And I've really, as a, as a leader and as a manager, that's what I've always done. It's always been inclusive. Uh, I've said, you know, I'm not the smartest kid in the sandbox, but I'm smart enough to surround myself with other people. 
And I think it's, you know, everybody doesn't have every skill, but everybody has something that really makes them special. And it's how do you get the best out of that person? How do you also help them to teach other people um, and be a part of the process as well? So it's never about one person individually. It's about how you can get the whole team to function together. And, you know, grow, growing up as a kid in the 80s, you know, I had no further to look than the U.S. Uh, Olympic hockey team in 1981. You know, we had a bunch of college kids from, you know, very competitive parts of the country and how Herb Brooks was able to bring them together and give them a common focus and, and, and help them to learn how to work as a team. And what they went on to accomplish, of course, will never happen again. Uh, as far as, you know, amateurs beating, you know, professionals like the Russians in the Olympics and winning the gold medal. Yeah, so you, you mentioned you surround yourself with people smarter than you, Bob, but you're a superhero. You're like a, an X-Men or an Avenger to Kevin and I. Who is another X-Men or an Avenger around, around Rochester that you look up to, um, like the way Kevin and I look up to you? You know, there's so many great role models uh, for people in this industry. For me, it was when I first moved back to Rochester, I was connected to a man named Jack Crashauer. Uh, Jack came from an advertising background. He had been with, you know, large size agencies, had the chance to connect with him. And then in one of my positions, he was actually on the board of directors. And I learned so much from him and was able to stay in contact with him over the years. And, and with, with him, it was about don't be afraid to be creative and don't be afraid to know that the first 10 ideas that you come up with aren't going to work. But you build off of that and, uh, you know, just learning the, the art of storytelling to people. And that's one thing I've always, you know, said, especially working in not-for-profit. I, I don't consider myself a, a technical development person, but I feel that I can tell a really compelling story. And, and it's not just my story, but it's a story of the people that we serve. And I think that's what helps people to connect. Uh, just like, you know, you connect to your favorite superhero, you know, what is it about them that really makes you uh, gravitate toward them? You know, for me, my, my guy, since I was five years old, has been Batman, right? Batman didn't have any superpowers, but he had some really cool gadgets in his tool belt, and he had great technology. So I always said, like, you know, he's the everyday superhero that anybody can be. You know, go out there and do good work and you know, again, it's about the, the way that you're able to be open to other people and other ideas, and that's what helps you to grow. Well, you're forming the Justice League over there. You're also formulating the GM now, and we wish you were the GM of the Buffalo Sabres because maybe we could get a win and uh, maybe make the playoffs at some point. Yeah, well, we got first-round pick, so first overall pick helps. this year. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that always helps, right? So one of the things that you were talking about is your creativity. Um, and one of the things that uh, came up kind of when uh, Tyler and I were doing our research and homework on you, because we do look up to you so much, um, was the idea of creative leadership. It is a term, there is now an executive coach on every single corner. Um, this seemed, this thought that everybody uh, uh, can coach executive leaders on how to be better people, not only in business, but also the community, um, has really ballooned uh, since the height of the pandemic. Now you are onto something with creative leadership that's something I have never seen or heard. I wanted to ask you specifically, what is creative leadership and how do you apply that today um, there at Rochester Hearing and Speech? Well, I think the biggest part of it is just being open to not getting stuck in your ways and doing things a certain way because that's your comfort zone or that's how we've always done it. Uh, one of the first things that I brought in uh, to you know, our staff and our team here was the idea of disrupting the norm, right? So taking that thing that you do every day, but let's look at it a little bit differently. You know, let, let's take that box, turn it upside down, look underneath it, look how it sees from different angles because, you know, the times change consistently. And I think COVID taught so many businesses the fact that how we were used to doing business isn't how we can continue to do business. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, learned a lot more about technology and the benefits of things like Zoom and uh, being able to virtually uh, do business. But I think it's also adapting yourself to the needs of the people that you're serving, you know, and you can't do that if you're living in a bubble. Um, and I think that's what I really have challenged our team with is how do we look at things a little bit differently? Not saying we're going to turn everything upside down 
But if we don't constantly evaluate that and we don't find maybe a more efficient way to do things, uh, that we're going to get stuck in those ruts. And, you know, we all know of companies that uh, have done that and it's really led to their downfalls. You know, I always use the example right here in town, you know, Eastman Kodak Company, you know, pillar of our community for so many years. But when you think about the fact that, you know, they actually held the very first patent on a digital camera. And they were afraid to do anything with it because they were worried that it was going to uh, interfere with their core business, which was film and film development, that all of a sudden, all of these other companies just shot right past them. And by the time they realized what they needed to do, it was you know, too late for that part of their industry. Yeah. So it's how, how do we constantly make sure that we're staying relevant for the people that we're serving? And I think you know, for people that work for an organization, especially ones that you know, may have been there for a while, it's exciting for them to be challenged to think differently as well. So, you know, I was able to come in with this idea, but I've also used it at places that I've been for, you know, six years or 10 years to make sure we're always staying on top of our game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll make mention of a couple of those places, Gilda's Club, The Little, I mean, a lot of prolific organizations that we all know and love here in our community as well. And taking that creative leader, I, I appreciate you uh, getting into that for us, Bob. Ty, what do you got? Yeah, Bob, I was going to say, you reek of courage, man. And I want to know where it comes from. On the like from the, do you have do you any of the, like, on the day-to-day -day practices to get the courage and wisdom that you have? Do you do, you do any action to just keep, keep that growing? I, I kind of got to know the answer to that, like how you get there. Well, I was the youngest of three. So I always had to fight my way uh, for attention, whether it was good or bad attention. It was, you know, something. Um, but I think when I got to the point where I realized, you know, I don't have to be afraid if I try something and it doesn't work because it's what I take out of that. Right. So, you know, we all try and we fail at things and you can either let it drag you down or you can say, okay, now in that same circumstance, how would I react differently, you know, moving forward? And, uh, you know, I, I still make mistakes, right. We all do. But if you don't try something, you're never going to know. I think the key to it is making sure that you kind of mitigate what your risk is going to be, you know, and you're not just trying something outlandish just for the sake of trying to make a change if it's not going to work. For me, that's what I try to share with my team is don't be afraid to make a mistake as long as we know what our risks are going into it. And, and if we do and it doesn't work out the way that we wanted this time, how do we adjust ourselves to make sure that we're learning from it and we're moving forward? Because, you know, the, the worst thing is just to get so complacent and so comfortable with where you're at that you're not willing to try something outside, uh, you know, what the norm is for, for you or for an agency. So, you know, we're trying some different things and uh, we're having some great results with it. And I know we'll also have some results and we'll be like, ah, why didn't we think about X, you know, as part of that? Uh, beforehand, but it's really just trying to plan out, think through things. And then sometimes it's like, guys, let's flip the coin. You know, let's, let's take this opportunity because it could either be really great or we'll learn from it and know how to make it great the next time around. Well, us men, I know we got a lot of men in the room here. And um, uh, one of the things that we love or is perceived that we love is sports, right? You mentioned your 19 years, I think you said, Bob, in the professional uh, sports um, arena. Yeah. Um, I typically, you mentioned storytelling. When you're talking to CEOs and, and predominantly they are male um, in this environment, they, uh, I find it best to sometimes storytell with sports and talking about the evolution that you just talked about within organizations, within business, and then building relationships. Similarly, you've probably seen the game of hockey change over just, just as much in the same um, from 19 years ago to where the game is today. Um, what would you say as to as the role that you play? And it sounds like you really are the GM. How, what were the first things that you did when you came in um, to a culture that you had nothing to be a part of uh, previously? Well, I think the hardest thing during the time I came in, you know, obviously during COVID was I've missed the opportunity of, of having more one-on-one -on -one time um, and having our whole team together, right? To be able to just get to know each other, share. Uh, Zoom is okay, but there's only so much. Um, for me, what I really came in and, and explained to people was, you know, again, I, I don't do everything right. 
Uh, I don't, you know, always finish on top with things, but what I really wanted to make sure they understood was that the one thing that I've been fortunate enough with the agencies that I've not only worked for, but led is to bring in that, um, that feeling of excellence, right? We're always not going to be excellent, but we doesn't mean we don't strive for it. And we strive for it on behalf of the people that we are serving and what we're doing, because, you know, we're, we're making people's lives better. We're making them easier. That is what our role in not-for-profit is. And we always have to make sure whatever decisions we're making, that's the focal point for us, is how does this affect our clients? Whether, you know, we've got preschool children who are getting therapy for speech or occupational therapy, or whether we have seniors that are coming in, you know, who are having trouble with, with their hearing health uh, and need some help with that. So, you know, that was the, the one thing that I brought in was, I give you my word that this is what I'll bring every single day. Part of that for me is being able to find a place where I can connect to personally. And I think I've been fortunate in my life that I've always been able to work for organizations that I've had a connection to. Um, and Rochester Hearing and Speech is no different. Um, I suffered from a speech impairment when I was a child. I also had hearing loss. So I knew and I can remember enough of what it's like to be that kid that feels different mm -hmm. because, you know, your, your friends are off saying one thing and you can't hear what's going on or you're having trouble verbalizing it. But I also went through it on the side of a parent with my daughter who was born prematurely uh, having to go through occupational therapy and physical therapy for years and understanding the frustrations that you have for them, but also with the system. You know, and especially when they get into school ages, you know, well, who do we turn to for these services? And, you know, you're dealing with three or four different agencies. And that's one of the things that I think we really pride ourselves on is that, you know, once somebody becomes a part of our family, we want to make sure that we're there for them, being able to help them, you know, move forward through each stage of what they have to get through. Uh, we're, it ties back to sports. It's no different to me than having a farm team. So, you know, you've, you've got a farm team where you've got, you know, younger players and they're having to hone their skills. They're having to learn their skills. And then you eventually want to be able to move them up into the pro leagues. And in this case, it could be something as simple as their transition from, you know, preschool and kindergarten into a classroom setting, you know, where there's a lot more distractions. There's a lot more noise. But how do we prepare them to be able to do that? And it's no different whether we're talking about our clientele or we're talking about our staff members, um, because we constantly want to be able to evolve and help people, you know, evolve and reach what their dreams are as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm hearing a lot of love over there, Bob. Stop! Come on. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say it anymore. You know, I'm a man, and I talk about love nowadays. And so I was wanting to say. Um, do you have a specific athlete or employee that you've been most proud of to watch grow over your years? Well, I mean, yeah, I've been fortunate. I've, I've been around a lot of great athletes and, you know, uh, with, with the pros, it's one thing because, you know, you kind of assume that, you know, these guys have made it to this level. Uh, we did have a player when I coached hockey uh, back in Buffalo at St. Joe's University or, uh, Institute. Uh, we had a young player and his name was Todd Marchand. And uh, you could tell that he was, he was a special player. He just had the heart and the soul. And um, he was on one of our teams at St. Joe's. And uh, Todd ended up going on to have a, you know 11-year career in the NHL. He got to hoist the Stanley Cup with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. And uh, that was a moment for me where you know, I kind of told myself, you know, maybe I was a part of that coaching staff that just had a little something to do with it. <laughs> it wasn't about his raw talent. It was about what we did. Hey, but, sometimes, um, sometimes it takes others to pull the best or see something in ourselves that we didn't even see ourselves. So Yeah, but it, it was just so great to follow, you know, his career. We went to college and, and juniors and then he went, you know, into the pros. And, you know, even even here in Rochester, you know, Brian Gianta, you know, he, he graduated from from my alma mater, Aquinas. Uh, being able to watch him going from, you know, playing youth hockey following the career and the path that he had. Um, it, it just makes inspiration, especially Brian, because he got the typical, he's too small to play pro hockey. But let me tell you what, 
he became the captain of the New York Rangers. He was the captain of the Sabres. He was the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, you know, which was unheard of uh, being a U.S. player and being the captain of such a storied franchise. So that, that's what inspires me uh, is watching, you know, young athletes when they accomplish something amazing. And for some of them, it might be the highlight that they have of their life. They may never go on, but that's okay because they accomplished something. And it's just that feeling to watch that with people. Yeah. And watching them develop, it's almost like a, a seed that you help plant and then you get to watch the, and, and the fruits that it bears many years down the road. Yeah. You never know that, you know, that kid you see, you know, throwing a baseball out in the, you know, the street with their friends or picking up a hockey stick for the first time where it's going to lead. And, uh, but it's not just around sports. I mean, it's, you know, I've been fortunate to be uh, around a lot of actors uh, between, you know, my work at Jiva and then at the little and just watching the growth, you know, we've had students that have come through our summer Academy at Jiva or that, you know, my daughter went to school with and I'd see them in the school musicals. And then next thing you know, you know, they're auditioning for Broadway and going off Broadway and touring, you know, with shows. It's no matter what you do, if you find something that you love to do and you're passionate about, it's not a job, yeah. you know, and, and that, that's really what I try to take out of every day is, you know, when I wake up, I'm excited to do what I do because I know we're going to be able to have an impact on people, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so even though I didn't become the next Bobby Orr, which was my dream as a kid, I think I've done pretty good. You know, I've been, you know, happy with the life that I've been able to create and the number of people that, you know, my, my agencies have been able to help and have an impact on. And you as well. And I think Tyler and I kind of approach life the same way. It's how many people's lives can I impact in a single given day? Because every day is a miracle. Uh, and and that's, that, that's awesome to hear that you say that. Talking about kind of some of those uh, things that are hot button items um, in leadership right now um, is really the development side. Uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier with your creative leadership, creating a space, safe space. But how do you continue, I guess, to get the most out of these employees, right? How do you connect with them? If you were to, it, it sounds to me, Bob, like you've checked your ego years ago um, and your ego's out of the way and you, it allows you to start to relate to people in different ways. But how do you, I guess, get out of the so-called ivory tower and then go and talk and communicate with these employees on a daily basis to really understand where you can improve? Well, I think some of it, you know, we'll go back to the comment you made earlier that I know is one of Tyler's, you know, favorite stories when I first yeah. mentioned them. It, it, it's about picking up a mop, you know, like there, there's no, there's no levels for me. Um, you know, I, I, I've said before, you know, with the, the corporate pyramid, you know, everybody thinks the CEO is at the top of it. I'm, I'm at the bottom. I like being able to hold up a foundation for people. And I think that's so important. And a lot of it is just comes through the daily conversations you have with people. You know, if I go into one of our offices and I'm just, you know, grabbing a coffee with somebody and seeing how their day is going, hearing about their lives. And, and, and the other thing is saying, you know, what, what are your dreams? Where do you want to see yourself go, you know, and, and see the agency go and then supporting that, you know, letting people know that a title doesn't give you any more rights than anybody else in the organization. It gives you more headaches sometimes, um, you know, because sometimes, you know, when you can't come to consensus with your team, you have to make a decision, but it's really where people want to go and what I can do to help them. You know, I, I've always said my, my job, my main job is to, and this, this came from my mother when I was young, the best advice I ever received, close your mouth and open your ears. Hmm. And I've never forgotten it. It's listening to people. It's making sure that they feel like they are as engaged with the agency as I am, and they have as much say in what we do, because it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're greeting clients, whether you're doing testing, whether you're providing, you know, occupational therapy, everybody has ideas. And, you know, the ego part of it is where you just listen to people and then you say, that there's something to what they just said, like, we can do this, you know, and then it's creating action, you know, to actually make it happen. Um, you know, I, I love when people go, oh, we've been talking about this for, you know, three or four years, and we didn't do that. Well, why not? Let's make it happen. You know, 
Let's make sure we're being smart about it. And, and we've been able to do that with a recent project that we had at one of our offices where we added a second audiology testing booth out in our Greece office. Um, it had been talked about for years, but it made perfect sense because we had people that were having to wait a month and a half, two months just to be able to get in to get tested with us because you know business is good. It's like, okay, now we need to adapt ourselves to better serve our population of people uh, that are coming in. So let's find a way to make it happen. And, you know, I said, this is where grants come in. This is where foundations come in and support. We tell the compelling story of how many more people we're going to be able to serve and what difference that's going to make, not just in their lives, but the lives of their family members and their friends and their coworkers, you know, who see the problem that they have without them being able to notice it. Um, we can serve 500 more people in a year. Let's make this thing happen. Yes, Bob Russell. Yes, 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 yeah. Wow. This, this is this is just me. I mean, you know, I'm, I always say I'm a plumber's kid. I'm 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 a pretty simple guy, but um, I, I I haven't been able to get where I've gotten to because you know I have a master's from Harvard. Um, it's because I've really always made sure that I treat people with respect. And I treat people fairly and I make sure that they know that they're a part of the solutions, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's where we're really finding, finding great growth opportunities for ourselves right now. And it's fantastic because you're tapping into the entrepreneurial spirit of the employees. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're being listened to and heard. Um, it's, but, and, and I would ask, because you've really, most of your career you've, you've spent in that nonprofit space where monetary is only gets you so far. Right. We're now seeing this war for talent. Businesses are offering sign on bonuses left and right. Okay. They're offering money that they never thought they would have to offer for positions to attract talent. But the way that you lead, Bob, how do you think how much more successful do you think you are in the nonprofit world head to head against some of these companies that make it almost relatively well known that they view you only as a body? Or what did you do for them today? Um, knowing what you came from, and, and ideally, obviously, the professional hockey world is, is nothing more of an individual sport in and of itself um, when you're on the ice and trying to get that next contract. How do you apply like some of the skills that you learned in professional sports and apply it now to the nonprofit space? Yeah, well, I like to knock down stereotypes, you know, and I'll say, you know, with, with Gilda's Club. You know, the stereotype was that it's only a place for women. Well, it wasn't. It was for men. It was for children. It was for family members and caregivers. So I think being a, a different face to, for the organization, um, you know, that they had had before, that was a big part of the storytelling. Uh, same thing when I was at the Little Theater. You know, a lot of people thought, you know, oh, the art house, you know, it's only for, for you know, hoity-toity or it's only for the artistic people we really started breaking down those barriers that we were a place for the community to gather and, and not just see a film, but be able to have a discussion around the topics, you know, of the films. So introducing children's programming that we did, introducing Black History Month programming, uh, doing a talkback series where, you know, if there was a film that, you know, needed to have a community discussion, we were that vehicle for people to have that and to be open. With all of that being said, I think what it comes back to is, is one very simple train of thought. And, you know, again, it, call, call it coming from an Italian uh, background, Italian family, but family is everything. And that's really what I carry through is, you know, when I say to people, you know, welcome to our RHSC family, it's not just trying to create a buzzword. It's the feel that we really want to have. And, you know, within families, you have people that have different thought processes. You have different people that sometimes siblings argue, but you work through that. And I think that's the biggest thing for me that it's, it's my comfort zone, that I'm not trying to force something, but this is where I want people to feel. And, it, and it's not just for the people that work for us, but it's for the people that come to see us. We need them to feel completely comfortable because they're entrusting in us their health, and in a lot of cases, their child's health. We need them to make sure that they understand that we are here to help them and to serve them. And it's not about putting somebody in the highest price uh, hearing aid 
because you know that's where we get more margins. You know, it's about putting them in the right hearing aid at a price that is comfortable for them. Um, you know, one of the things being a not-for-profit is that we do not have sales goals for our audiologists and our doctors of audiology, uh, where you know you have that with with the commercial organizations that they have, you know, a certain amount of aids or certain ones that they want to sell within a month. We we knock down all of those barriers. And then it's the same relationship building as a family that we do with our board members, our volunteers, and, and with our donors, because we want them to know, you know, this isn't what we're doing. This is what we are all doing together. This is what we're able to do collectively when we come together as a community. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's building that bridge for people to feel comfortable to, hey, come on over. You know, we're right here. We're here to help you. Dang, Bob, again, I've heard a lot of love over there. It's getting me fired up about <laughs> this field in Victor. And you, you keep mentioning the word storytelling. And I'm really bad at it. If I have the best story to ever tell, I'm so direct. I leave out so much. What are a few keys to storytelling like you're, you're presenting right now, Bob, that we can, I, I can practice on a little bit? Well, I think the first thing is to make it personal for people. Right. And part of that is just when you're getting to know people, you know, you're finding out what it is that they're interested in. Uh, there might be somebody who, you know, they really their interest is in childhood development. So being able to share a personal story with them, not not everybody has the story I do where I, I can talk about what it was like, you know, being a kid with a speech impairment, um, you know, and, and, and the frustration and, you know, sometimes the mocking uh, that came into play, especially from my closest friends. And you know what it took to get through that, but it's also then telling the story of somebody that we're serving, you know. And and I had this conversation with somebody a few weeks ago, and I you know I just made the comment. I said, you know, imagine you as a grandparent not being able to hear your grandchild tell them that they love you, or them not being able to say those words to their parents. You know, that's what we do. So I, I could give you all this you know, big educational terminology, medical terminology, but I like to boil it down to here's what we do and that's what the difference is, you know? And, and again, it's amazing since I started with this agency, how many people that I've talked to and I run into, and even people that I've known for years that go, oh, you know what? My son or my daughter went to RHSC for three years for therapy and for help. Like there's so many people that have been touched by this agency that's been around 99 years, you know, um, that it's like, that's their story. And we want them to feel free to share it. And, you know, we'd say the same thing with our staff and our board members. If somebody asks you who you're associated with, you can't just tell them who they are and from the brochure, what we do. You have to tell them why you're connected. Why are you here? Why are you involved supporting, you know, this agency and the work that we're doing? Yeah, emotions have a, a, a strong sense in, in, in directing our, our decisions. Hence why I'm on the data side. I cut through all of that and I love focused on the data to support those emotional decisions. But so I was never smart enough for all the numbers, you know. <laughs> but you've obviously figured it out, Bob. Yeah. What is one thing, let's say 80, 90 years from now, because we know you're living for a long time, what do you want to be remembered for? Me personally or you I think just that I was a, an honest, forthright person. Um, I always included people uh, in discussions and uh, that every day I got up and I gave my best to try and help make a difference, not, not just for people, but for myself. You know, you really, you feed off of the work that you do. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I get more excited when I see something and we, we were taping something last week with a family and, you know, their, their son was just getting ready to um, graduate from McQuaid. I think we and know he's going Melissa. to Nazareth. Melissa Siesta. Yep. And uh, Adriano, they were talking about his story about how, you know, years ago when they, they came to RHSC, you know, our staff would go into their house and actually help them to learn basic sign language because he wasn't able to speak and articulate what he was looking for. And now here he is graduating from a, an amazing high school and going to a great college. And to hear somebody say, without 
your agency, this wouldn't have been possible. Well, that that makes me feel just as good as somebody came up and said, I want to donate twenty thousand dollars to you. Yeah, you could run through a brick wall or maybe slam them into the boards. <laughs> like, you know, we know you can. <laughs> no, but that, you know what, though, Kevin, that's the key, right? You always say as a good leader, you know, they, they say, I want, I want my people to go through a wall for me. Well, guess what? I'm going to be the first one through the wall for them yeah. and then help them over. That's how it has to be. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of people that are still very old school that it's about, you know, what can you do for me? You know, what, what can Kevin and Tyler do for me through this podcast? What can I do for you guys? Nothing. Because if I do for you, <laughs> if I do for Nothing you, all, know, Tom, you're going to be behind me. <laughs> no, we <laughs> So when I come across that guy that's about a foot taller than me and about, you know, 30 pounds heavier, and he's ready to come down on me on the ice, I know you guys will step in and have my back. Yeah, we got Gladly. you. Gladly. Gladly. We'll do our best Joe Thornton impression for you, Bob. <laughs> I can't even spell puck. That was a good, that was a good name drop for a guy. The beard's like me. not big enough to be Thornton. Come on, who are you kidding? <laughs> oh hell, Bob. Well, hey, who who was the first person you told when you got the phone call that you were the new CEO of Rochester here in a speech? Uh, well, I didn't even have to really run upstairs. My my girlfriend could hear me on the phone, and uh, but uh, after that, the first person I called was my brother, uh, who lives in Denver. Uh, he's been a mentor to me for many, many years. Uh, just, you know, very, very, uh, again, compassionate as, as a leader and as a trainer. And so uh, he, he was my first call to say, okay, you help, you help talk me off the ledge a few times during this, this, you know, long process. And, um, you know, but I, I was thrilled because I, I, I truly felt like, you know what, I've got a good home, you know, with this agency. And I think you said it best. And I think that's why some people are, we're seeing the shift of, of employment right now. I think a lot of people got uh, a, maybe slapped back to reality. I, I call it the bite of the forbidden fruit that some organizations never wanted people to taste to, to really see um, that maybe there's more to life than just work. Um, that we were constantly chasing this American dream. We're all on social media. It's a constant, uh, constant competition um, in most cases. And it's all down to material things. But I like to speak for Tyler and you. I mean, it, it's so much more than materialistic. It's the emotions and how you develop those those relationships that last a lifetime and, and can admit that we don't know everything. I, I always yeah. say, and Tyler always say, listening is one of the most dangerous tools in sales. <laughs> nobody else nobody else wants to listen. They're only caring about what they want to do and what they want to sell somebody. Yeah. Um, one of the things I also wanted to ask you, um, if you could um, give us maybe one or two keys of success, speaking to the younger generation who ideally, if we align our passions and our strengths, will be sitting where you're sitting in, in maybe 10, 15, 20 years. What would you tell us as the keys to success to get to where you are today? Well, I think, you know, times are so different now. Um, you know, back in my day, I, re I remember when I got my first brick phone, I thought, I was the coolest thing, like we're on the cutting edge. But, but I think the biggest thing, and, I, and I've, I've shared this with, with my daughter, uh, who, you know, has now joined the workforce and, you know, with younger colleagues, there's so much to be said for having a discussion with people. And even with COVID, you know, where you can't do as much face-to-face, -face, but being able to Zoom, um, I think we all get wrapped up and it's much easier and quicker to text somebody or send an email, but you can't portray a tone in an email or a text mm -hmm. and whether it's warmth, whether it's disappointment in something. So I think that's really the biggest thing is, you know, I, I really truly believe that, you know, face-to-face -face conversations with people will never go out of style because that's how you build relationships. Um, that's that's, that's the, the biggest thing I think right now. I think the second part of it is, you know, technology is a tool, but don't rely so heavily on it that you forget how you got to where you need to be. You know, uh, I still like to have a pad of paper and a pencil and write things out rather than just, you know, typing it all out. You know, again, call me old, call me old fashioned. Um, but I think there's certain core values, and especially for, for people in business, that that goes a long way. Um, you know, I, as a young salesman, 
you know, your first inclination, you go in to meet with somebody and it's like, here's our package of information. Here's every item that you're going to read about. Here's how much this will cost you. Um, I learned pretty quickly that when I went in without anything in my hand and had that first conversation is tell me about your business. Tell me what your challenges are. Tell me what, you know, your employees are facing, you know, and then try to find what really fits for people instead of trying to make them fit in for you. And I actually got to spend a day behind a counter at a Tim Hortons in Fort Erie, Ontario, because I went in to meet with my client, who is the franchise owner, and he was getting slammed because he had two people down. Next thing you know, I'm pouring coffee, I'm doing donuts, I took my tie off, rolled my sleeves up, and I spent three hours helping out. And I'll tell you what, the relationship that I had with him and his family moving forward went well beyond business. But it was just that mentality of, do what needs to be done. If you see that there's a dusty floor, don't ask somebody else to pick up the mop. Don't walk away and hope somebody else sees that piece of paper. Just do it. And, and that's what builds trust, I think, for people. Thank you for that. Did that answer it? Did that even yes. answer your question? Yes, right. it did. Yes, it did. I, got so it all, I have it all written down. Yes. Oh, man, I was just thinking over here, Kevin, that all reminds me of like a modern day William Wallace. Like from yeah. Braveheart, like the guy, an ultimate warrior. I just got to know, Bob, what are some of your weaknesses? Because I'm not smelling any. Uh, no, I've got them, trust me. Um, being Italian, I can be stubborn sometimes. I try to keep that to the personal life and not as much, you know, within business. Um, but I also think like, I, you know, I think back of when I was younger, what I should have done. I, I wish I would have learned a second language. I think that would have been, you know, helpful, especially today as, you know, you have more international business happening and things like that. Um, and, and sometimes to a fault, I'm, I'm very loyal to people. Uh, and it, it's, it's, you know, hard sometimes. You put your trust in and, you know, most of the time it works out. Other times you learn a lesson from it. Not, not, not many weaknesses there, Bob. <laughs> no, didn't pick up on any. I was going to ask you, Bob. So it's karaoke night. You got your team together. Uh, you're really excited. You're kicking off uh, this year's campaign in 2022. What song are you grabbing the mic and just singing that sweet something to? Man, I'm, I'm going to slow it down a little bit, and I'm going to go with uh, Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. Ooh, I love that. I love that. And the Jay-Z version they did okay with, too. I, I know that. So what is one thing that maybe your employees do not know about you, Bob? Oh, this is a tough one. Um, that sounds tough. Probably, believe it or not, that, that uh, one day, many years ago, I, I used to sport kind of a semi-mullet. Uh, it was kind of cool in the 80s. It was a big, Business it was in big the front, party in the back. I love yeah, those because things. Yeah, because you have a good flow under the helmet showing. But uh, it, it's hard for people to know that now. Um, now, I think for the most part, uh, I'm a pretty open book with people. And I, I got to say, like, my staff has been amazing because they'll ask a lot of questions. Um, but I, I think uh, that and the fact that uh, my, my biggest regret, I never got to play drums on stage at Madison Square Garden. That was another, that was another one of those fantasies. Can any listeners make that happen? I don't know, Bob. We can <laughs> ask the audience here. Maybe, maybe we have somebody from New York City that can make that happen. Uh, I'll tell you, man, you, you had that dream as a kid. You're like, okay, I had a dream last night. Neil Peart got sick and Rush asked me to go up on stage with him. It was awesome. <laughs> Pinch so, but me. No, I mean, just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, um, you know, I'm a superhero geek, uh, pretty much any, since I was a kid, any superhero movies. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I've turned my daughter into one as well. So whenever there's a release, we're there looking forward to Black Widow finally coming out, getting her own film. And so, so just a couple of things that yeah, people might find interesting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because you were talking about um, kind of stepping into different roles um, and, and really turning organizations around. Um, you and I have discussed kind of um, the lack of engagement between different nonprofit agencies. Where do you want to go as a community to help bring together the nonprofits and show that you're here to serve the community? How are you, what is your intent? Where do you want to see that? And how do you want to grow and build those bridges? Well, I think my mentality has always been strength in numbers. Right. Um, I think a lot of people are not for profit, you know, going back years, um, it can be territorial sometimes, especially if you're, you know, crossing over uh, with other organizations that are similar. But for me, it's always been about how do we 
show the community who's playing in the sandbox together because Rochester is so tightly knit that they want to see that, right? They don't want to see people competing. So, you know, I was fortunate when I was, you know, in sports, when I was at, you know, Jiva at the Little, for me, it was about those partnerships because it was, you know, if I'm doing a program that is revolving around, you know, classical music, well, hey, I want to get the RPO involved. I want to get WXXI involved. I want to, I want to partner and bring their experts in. Um, and even at the Little, people thought, you know, one of our biggest competitors was the Dryden Theater at the George Eastman house because they also showed foreign films and independent films. And that was one of the first relationships that I really created where we started sharing ideas. And it was like, hey, I can't use this film because you know I can't run it for two weeks, but you guys might be interested in it and vice versa. And I think that's what I've always tried to do is who do we come together so that if somebody has a need, I know that I might not be able to offer everything to them that they need, but this agency offers what we don't, let's collaborate on that. And I think that's the amazing thing with being, you know, with RHSC and us being one of the uh, member agencies of Al Siegel, you know, being one of the founding members is that, you know, we have different agencies that are doing things and we have some crossover, but now I've got five other CEOs that I'm in contact with all the time to be able to share ideas or say, I'm really stuck on something, you know, how are you guys handling this? And that's what I love is being able to bounce ideas off. And it's also with people outside of your industry because again, great ideas can be adapted. You know, so what, what's happening in the corporate world that we can bring in and reading articles about, you know, companies that are doing um, hybrid models for bringing people back into the offices and realizing that some people really get more work done at home. So let's give them time at home as well as in the office. So it's, it's constantly just keeping my ears open and learning. And then I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and, and call, you know, in this case, a CEO of a much larger organization say, I was reading an article about you or something you said in RBJ, or I saw you in an interview. Can I just, you know, take 10 minutes of your time to pick your brain a little bit? And I think those are how you start creating relationships, not just with people, but with agencies. And then you find out, hey, they may have a need for something that we do and vice versa. It's all sense uh, of the world to me, Bob. Yes, it does, Kevin. Kevin uh, taught me that exact little strategy, Bob, and yet it hit me in the five head about 19 times. So I was like, I get it. <laughs> and then, then here it comes from the, the horse's mouth. Bob Russell just makes it even more justified. Well, I can see you're excited because like all the animals are running up behind you. It's like, you know, watching a movie, a Disney movie, you're all coming up to see what's going on. Oh, Bob, I'd love to go to my first hockey game in my life with you, man. And I tell my family in Arkansas why I'm into hockey now is because it's going to become a, a guy named Bob Russell's in town, you know. And well, we'll, we'll, we'll catch uh, up uh, and you can fill me in on the finer points of basketball. I know that's your group, so. Oh, deal, Bob. Deal, Bob. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I just always like to ask folks, if someone dropped $50 trillion into Bob Russell's lap and you couldn't spend $1 on yourself, what would it go to? I have a lot of causes that I absolutely adore and love. Um, I would use that money to try and help set up long-term, you know, endowments for organizations or financial aid or scholarships for kids. You know, I always said, if I won the lottery and I just didn't have to work, I would open up a series of hockey schools for uh, kids, especially inner city kids who haven't been exposed to the sport because it wouldn't be about the sport. It would be about teaching life lessons, about teamwork. So anything dealing with kids, I would pump that money into quicker than you can imagine. I have, I have a feeling I know exactly where your money's going, Bob. That's a, it's a, your heart's in the right place. And that's why I think Tyler and I really truly look up to you. Um, you're a mentor to us, uh, basically, of what leadership really is. And, and it's getting out of our own way and, and letting others succeed alongside of us. And you keep using terms like we. Um, so it's awesome to hear the, the great work that you're doing at Rochester Hearing and Speech. And we're going to, as we close up, you're interviewing, uh, we're, we're, we're flipping some gears. Now, now you're in the hot seat, right? And uh, we're interviewing you. Uh, we know you're really interested in coming to work for us here at Time Out with Leaders. But we really just have to ask you two questions. Tyler, 
what is your first question? Oh, Russell, uh, thanks for uh, applying at a timeout with leaders. And the first question I'd like to ask is, if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Uh, you know, I'm a Leo, so I've always been attracted to the lion, but uh, I'm also a protector. Um, and I think, you know, I do that with my family, whether it's my, my personal family, my work family. I like to be there to help protect people and, uh, you know, keep danger away from them as much as possible. Thank you, Bob. Well, you gave us a little uh, something to think about there. Um, it's really going to come <laughs> down to this. Uh, Bob, you mentioned you like superheroes. If you had one superhero or superpower, let's say, what superpower would you choose and why would you choose that particular superpower? Oh, Mike, I'm going to go back to the Batman thing. I think the superpower to be smart enough to be able to create different gadgets and toys um, that can help people because I'm afraid of heights. So flying's not going to do it. Um, you know, being invisible, I, I kind of like, you know, the spotlight sometimes. So, so I think my superpower would be to have like a supersized brain to be able to, to just be a, a master creator and tinker. <laughs> hired. We're hired. You're hired. Ah! Okay. Okay. Hey, I got a new job. Yep. Sweetie, yep, <laughs> coming over to work for time out with leaders. Well, Bob, do I get any swag though? Yeah, do I get like a shirt or anything? You from get you guys? one of these. You get a special. You get a special whistle. You can blow it anytime. Call some timeouts in the meetings. That's where we're just spreading love, joy, happiness, and inviting people like you, Bob. Because I think I hope I know I learned a lot today, Tyler. I, I'll speak for you too. I know you're out in the farm, but. Uh, in between shucking some bales of hay there. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you got something out of today's episode. But Bob, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you so much again for, for accepting um, our offer to, to join us here at uh, Time Out with Leaders. Well, absolutely anytime. And I just want to let you guys know that you are also leaders because the information that you're sharing with the people that watch your podcast, and I know you're, you're also talking to a lot of people, um, you know, you're, this is how we make a difference, right? We share ideas. We, we give people an opportunity to listen and learn. And, you know, I've learned a lot watching your podcast before this. So I'm not going to watch this one. I'm not good at watching myself, but I will continue being faithful and uh, being able to continue learning. So thanks for your servant leadership as well, guys.